Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to season three of the Running Explained podcast. I am very excited to be here and I'm very excited to see you or have you see me. That is right, this year going forward, all new episodes will be available full length on YouTube for video and audio. Why? Well, other people seem to be doing it. Uh, and I've gotten some questions about it. So am I being peer pressured into it? A little bit. But I also know that I've had a lot of conversations with my guests over the past two years that have involved them gesticulating or demonstrating or showing you something that you can't see on audio. So I think that it's going to be beneficial for all of us to be able to actually see what my guests are saying sometimes. And you get to see me gesticulate wildly at all times and react (laughs) to my active listening face in real time to my guests. So I'm very excited about that. Um, A couple other kind of procedural fun facts. So don't forget, I am not just a podcaster. I am a running coach and I have a team of coaches who also work with the Running Explained athlete family. So if you're looking for a one-on-one coach, we are taking new run coaches coaching clients. I did get somebody who asked about triathlon. We're not coaching anything other than running at this time. Although who knows what the future will hold. Now, also, if you're looking for something more support, but not quite as involved as the investment of one-on-one coaching, my signature group coaching 2.0 program is now available for people who are running a marathon or half marathon. It is rolling admission. Sign up on your timeline. You get a training plan. You get biweekly one-hour coaching calls throughout your training cycle, and you get 13 individual race-specific educational modules from me all about how to train for your race, taking you all the way through the basics of how and why to train, to goal setting, fueling, uh, planning your race state, debriefing after your race, everything you might need to know to run your best race. And of course, there are also training plans available, 5K through marathon and base building for new runners all the way up through my level four moderate and experienced athletes. So that out of the way, I would like to welcome my very first guest of this year, a returning guest for you, Dr. Matt Minard, AKA Learn to Run. If you have seen him and his tennis ball necklace or videos of him you know, telling you, teaching you how to run, Dr. Matt is the person to go to. I think that his approach to running and his thirst for knowledge is just, it's so fabulous to be able to talk to you. Now, today we're talking all about cadence all about cadence, a one plus hour episode dedicated to specifically to the topic of cadence. Now he was on the show end of season one talking about form and mechanics, but this episode is simply all about cadence. What is cadence? When, why, how do we pay attention to it? When is it important? When is it not important? And of course, because this is my show, we go off onto tangents and get like coachy about some things. (laughs) But if you've ever had questions about cadence, uh, this episode is for you. So I hope you enjoy. Please welcome my first guest of the season, Dr. Matt Minard. Dr. Matt Minard, welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. What a treat to be back. It's been a year and I'm so excited to be here. 
So it's been quite the year for you before we dive into our topic today. Give us an update. What's going on with you and your business? So I got to a point where the whole time the mission is just how can I help as many people as possible? And I found a way of doing that is with runners specifically because they have a need and there's a problem out there. And so then it kind of evolved into I'm only one person. I don't want to be the only person helping runners. How can I like help more people? If I'm wanting to be a physical therapist in Charlotte, North Carolina for this one healthcare company, for 30 more years, how many people can I truly impact? And then I thought about what if I re, you know, recreate myself, replicate myself and teach other people, teach the teachers how to do this. So in April of last year, that evolved to, you know, I, I got to leave my job. I have to temporarily step away from the corporate world. I have It was so good for me for the first 10 years of my career. I'm so grateful for it. But there comes a time where you want to grow and evolve. And when you want to actually make change, you kind of have to be the one in, in charge of it. And it's just hard with a huge organization. So I thought about it for a while and I said, you know what, what, you know, not just running, I'm passionate about helping all types of movement, all types of people, because when we as humans lose the ability to move, like mobility, motion is life. And so often we see people that are thriving and they fall, they break a hip and they, they die. It's sad in the older age. So it's just without movement, that's how we learn to appreciate things. If someone can't move, what does that do to them mentally, physically? So walking, learn to walk, learn to run, learn to jump, learn to sit, learn to stand. So slowly it started coming to me that I wanna make an instruction manual for all types of movements and have it available for people online that they can get from anywhere in the world. But then also how clinicians can also learn the methods. And this is my big, big vision it's like an Ikea model. You know Ikea. You go to Ikea. It's a little cheaper to buy a desk, but you have to put it together. So some people will they'll be like, fine, I'm so, it's cheaper. I'll do this. I'll buy it. They put it together themselves. But then some people are like, I'll just pay 100 bucks and have somebody come and do this for me. So I want to have that kind of model where if you want to learn how to run and you will live no matter where you live, I have this digital store. You put your zip code in. And then I have people that are trained and certified in learn to run, learn to squat, learn to walk that live you know, close to you and I can kind of connect you for business. And maybe five to 10% of people will be able to do it on their own. And most of us what I've learned is they just want somebody to be there with them to take it through. So I wanna empower it to if you're injured, how to rehab. So get uh, like physical therapist or chiros, I don't care who you are, whoever helps people. And then, um, and then performance, like life after rehab. So it's like, oh, you're healthy, how can we also, you know, improve you your performance so that's my big vision i want you someday no matter where you live to be able to help get help with your movement no matter what kind of movement and no matter what it's for so, so oh my god I, I love that i mean they tell us like as entrepreneurs we're like dream big what's your vision and you're like no i want to be like nationwide yeah <laughs> internationally i can have somebody at your door to teach you how to move in like 15 minutes or less <laughs> it, it gives me it does it it's like i need uh somewhere where it's not a ceiling i need somewhere to keep keep growing and and like with that uh, like even gym class, I'm thinking like, how can we get kids? Like all these problems when you see where people are older, their posture, they're stooped, they can't get out of a chair. It's like, we can, can we get this before it happens? And where in society can we put this into place where it can just happen? And how can I take my knowledge of movement and what I continue to learn about just business and communication and, and then it's just attracting an audience and, and this is what I do and here's what I can do for you, so. Well, I was having this conversation with an athlete. I had a consult the other day with an athlete, and we were talking about running as a skill. And she was saying that, like, you know, my form is this, that, and, I, you know, she sent me some videos of her form, and 
there's really nothing wrong with her form. It was just kind of basic weaknesses and instabilities that most runners have in our hips and our glutes, posterior chain. And I said, you know, fix those. You're going to be 95% of the way there. She kept saying, like, I'm so embarrassed that I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to run properly. And I said, I think one of the greatest misconceptions that we've been sold as runners is that running, everybody should be able to run no matter what, easy, free, like from our very first step. And running and these types of movements are skill-based, right? No matter whether we realize it or not, some people have a higher aptitude than others, right? Right out of the gate. But in order to become really great at movement, we are talking about development of skills and that takes time. Definitely. Yeah, it's something that just because you can do it and you don't, you see a runner, you don't know all the back end, how much training they had. They've been running for 10 years, 20 years. Has someone taught them if they play sports? You just don't know by just a snapshot. And then we all want things instantaneous and we feel like, you know, our perception of everything, but uh, you're absolutely right. It is such a skill. And I think that's the biggest argument. Some people don't understand it. So they just like pin it off to something they can't change because they don't understand it. But skills, they are, they're learnable, they're teachable, they're, they're actual things that don't just happen. Like you say, some people have a, a better, like they can learn it faster than others, but some people, their body awareness is so poor. So definitely, and that's what I've been whittling down to, I got three skills and I worked, no, we're talking about cadence today, but I have whittled down real quick. I'll say the three skills are learning how to sync your arms with your legs. The arms moving forward and back symmetrically with the legs is one necessary skill to learn. The second skill is learning how to lean, how to properly have your center mass shift forward. It's where your base support is, where it's creating this constant forward movement, but more importantly, it's not slowing you down as much. So how to lean from the ankle, that ankle hinging at the ankle. And the third skill is how to move forward at faster speeds. And when we leave the ground, leave the ground and move purely horizontal using a hip strategy, and not moving up and forward using a knee or an ankle strategy by using the quads or the calves to go up. So taking the jump out or gliding is skill number three. But yeah, you're, you're, you got it, skills. We gotta learn them. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's cut to the chase here. Uh, the people came here to learn about cadence. Let's give them what they're asking for. Let's do um, it. Cadence, okay. We're going to start at the very bottom, the basics, and then we're going to go, I know, probably all over the place, and this is going to be a jam-packed episode. Matt, what is cadence? Cadence is a measurement. It's a measurement of frequency. So it's how often is this person doing whatever. It could be in music. It could be in, in rowing, teaching rowing, walking, running. It's just how frequently, and when it comes to running, we say cadence, or we say step rate, or we say steps per minute, SPM. But we're seeing in a duration of time, usually in one minute, how frequently are you doing something? And cadence is how frequently are you stepping or making contact with the ground? I'm gonna say, how, which, which, uh, which W word do I wanna start this question with? When should we pay attention to cadence and why does it matter? It's a good question. I've changed. So my, my journey of running was before I was a physical therapist. Like I was in undergrad learning exercise science, but I was usually my background is in you know, weightlifting, traditional strength training. And so it was cool for me to kind of like learn as I went and went through school and kind of then started treating to see I can still remember my thought process. 
But back in 2013 is when I graduated from PT school. I was at a, a Ohio physical therapy conference and learning, and there was a speaker, Dr. Richard Wiley, I believe it is, or Willie. Um, he went to Ohio University. He's got a PhD in biomechanics, awesome resource for running. But he taught us this where I was exposed to how cadence, and I feel like everything kind of comes in decades, but back then he was one of the first ones that was talking about how manipulating somebody's step rate or their cadence is a great shotgun approach to running mechanics. Because for some people, and we'll get into why that is, it can change their mechanics. They don't have to think about all these things. They're just keeping up with this one thing. So I really, in the beginning for a lot of people, my main treatment for addressing mechanics was just, I'm not sure what else to do. It's so complex with all these moving parts, but I do know, and it's been shown in the research, but the why is the most important, that increasing somebody's step rate can help. It can help make them more efficient. But like with everything, there's a point of uh, where too much is, is too much. But I think that new runners, is my broad, broad statement is that I think cadence or step rate is worth caring about if you are a newer runner, because to back to the skill, walking and running are both in the same direction. We're just moving our body forward. What changes is the speed, how fast we go. And there's certain variables that make up that speed. One is your step rate. You know, if we want to walk faster, we start taking a bigger step to cover more ground and we start doing it more frequently. But there becomes a point where it's actually more efficient for your body to leave the ground and to move forward or run. And that's where we're trying to take that jump piece out. But for most people, walking cadence is around 90 to 100 steps. So going from walking to running, it's it's a huge jump. It's a huge jump. And then they go to the research. They say, well, you know, you know, depends is truly the answer for everything. But we have to people make us give a number. And that's where 180 kind of came out of 180 steps per minute. So I do think that for a lot of people, depends on your background, if you're a running coach, I do think it's worth if you've got a newer runner within the last six months, just getting them practice and even just the practice of doing it, even if it doesn't change their mechanics, it's good drill to work on not just their strength, not just the range of motion, but their, their quickness. How quickly can they move their speed? And that's a good skill for everybody to learn to quickly move body parts like that. So I think every new runner should um, at least experiment with it, see how it feels. But this is where the problem comes in. People believe that it's um, like a, a result, a, a step rate dictates their success. Like they'll say, oh, I had a good run. I had 170 steps per minute. But it's, it's just a number. It really it doesn't tell us anything. It's not necessarily good or bad. And what I found is that manipulating someone's cadence or step rate, it can make somebody more efficient by two ways. One, I'm trying to move forward and I'm moving and I'm like, okay, I got to pick this up a little bit. I got to take some more steps. So two things can happen. One, we spend less time going up in the air because the further I go in the air, the further I go off the ground, I can't accumulate steps as rapidly. So if I'm consciously, my mission is to get more steps, I tend to stay lower to the ground. And the other is with the whole foot placement with where you land. If you're trying to get this faster step rate, the time where the foot is in front of you, you're like, well, I need to make contact sooner. I need to rack up my steps. So you'll make contact with the ground sooner. So it can help with preventing some bounding and going up and down. And it can help with somebody's striding or overstriding or what I like to call breaking, B-R-A-K-I-N-G instead of overstriding. But um, 
those are the two methods, but it doesn't work for everybody. And I have some people that it's like beautiful when it works, but that what I found is it only really works like five to 10% of the time. And then we have to actually, just like with any new skill, you have to give feedback. The feedback is cadence and step rate, but then we have to take that away. If you always are learning how to deadlift and you always have to have that mirror in front of you, then what happens if we take away that mirror? We have to take away that feedback if we wanna learn how to do it without. So if we wanna learn how to run without cadence or step rate, then we need to, to take that away just through traditional learning styles. But again, cadence is a tool. It's just a tool. It shouldn't be used as a form of like positive or even negative because you can have a lower step rate and be fine. So that's why I like using it as just a tool to change somebody's mechanics or in the beginning, just getting somebody used to moving their legs a little bit more fast. Who shouldn't care about it as much is your like elite people or if you think that that step rate, if you think a higher number is equivalent with higher performance, it's not always the case. You can have this point of diminishing return where you're moving so quickly that you don't even have time. I always go back to this analogy because I think it's easier to conceptualize. If I'm in the water and I'm in a canoe and I've got a paddle, how I move forward is I put the paddle in the water and I push the water backwards. Well, if we look at me over the course of a minute, how frequently am I doing, if I, am I paddling back? If I'm doing it so fast, what am I gonna take away from? I'm gonna take away from that pushback of the water. So if someone has such a high step rate, they're just constantly wearing themselves out, paddling backwards ever so slightly and not lengthening that back of the stride, not proposing ourselves, and just constantly picking up your feet. So it's, it, where we get into trouble is we say it's more efficient to have a higher step rate, but we need to say why. It's not just the actual number of steps. It's because what traditionally is accompanied by moving at a faster step rate, people don't have time as much to do those things. Have you ever seen somebody run like 17 miles per hour on a treadmill? Like they're yeah. everything, all they're thinking of is just moving. They're so efficient because they have to be, they're gonna fall off. Their head height, it barely moves. Like they don't have time to. So by us increasing the step rate, again, it just goes back to what is the purpose, the purpose of cadence, but it shouldn't be used as a performance. That's what I was been looking for the whole time, a performance metrics. It's not a performance metrics, it's a tool. So if you have too high of a step rate, point of mission return, you're overworking yourself way too much. Tell that person, hey, you're paddling. Like, hey, buddy, lengthen the back a little bit. That's where you get the power. Don't just wear yourself out and do these little constant, really rapid, fast baby strokes because every step costs energy. It costs metabolic work. And when we're talking about over two, three, four, five, 10, 26 miles, it adds up like crazy. So <laughs> that was a long way around, but hopefully that answered who, who should care about it and who, uh, who shouldn't. <laughs> About six months ago, I was out to lunch with my mom and I was wearing the Gooder OGs in the Bosley's Basset Hound Dreams color. So classic Wayfarer style sunglasses in a tortoise shell color. And she said, I really like your sunglasses. And I said, thank you. These are Gooder. They're my running sunglasses. She said, wait, those are your running sunglasses. They look like regular sunglasses. And I said, I know. You should try them on. They probably look really good on you. And she tried them on and they did look good on her. And she's like, I'll have to buy a pair. I said, mom, keep it. <laughs> keep that pair. I will get another one. She was wearing them over Christmas. She wears them all the time. My father has been converted into wearing the Mach G aviator style, which make him look very cool. My husband wears the VRG single lens. Me, I wear them all. 
And now you can too. And you can get free shipping off your next order of Gooder.com using code RUNEXP. So whether you buy one pair, 10 pairs, doesn't matter. Free shipping, lightweight, comfortable, polarized, affordable. What more can you ask for in a pair of sunglasses that you can also wear when you run? I don't think you can ask for anything more than that. Get free shipping off your next order on Gooder.com using code RUNEXP. That's R-U-N-E-X-P on Gooder.com. G-O-O-D-R.com. Look good. Run Gooder. I love that. I love that. It was a crash course in cadence. And I think the big takeaway is that it actually does matter to some people in some situations. Um, I'm going to tell you my personal cadence story. Yeah. I think everybody here knows that I, well, if you listen to this podcast, you heard the intro. I started running when I was 29 years old. And so when you come into a sport later, we talk about running as a skill. I came into the sport with a lot of kind of weird preconceptions about what I thought I should be doing to be a successful runner and what I thought, you know, to, to run faster, I needed to take larger steps. In my mind, it made sense. So when I was trying to run faster, I would take these like giant, long, loping, like bounding strides, and which is a great way to get chin splints and overstride and mess up your knees and be generally kind of inefficient and uncomfortable. Um, and so <laughs> what actually happened is about six months after I started running, I ran my first half marathon and I, I finally got to see video my husband took video of me like coming down the finishing chute and crossing the finishing line. And I remember like I was dying, right? But like kick it into the finish. And so in order to kick it into the finish, I, what did I do? I lengthened my stride and I was hinging forward at the hip. And like, it is, I have, it's just, you know, it's a textbook and like, here's what we don't want to look like. <laughs> the finish line. And so I saw that and I was like, that doesn't look the way that I thought that it looked. I thought that I was doing something completely different. I thought that I was looking like one of those amazing cover models on, on runner's world. I don't, what's happening here? And I was like, oh, I discovered, apparently I'm doing this thing called overstriding. And which is like you said, breaking, right? When your foot lands out in front of your body, you know, literally breaks you uh, and you don't want that. You want to keep moving forward. And so in my further Google research, oh, apparently if I increase my cadence, I'll be able to correct this thing called overstarting. Oh, and my further research has said, well, apparently 180 is the magic number I should aim for. So what did I do? The good little student, I made up a little playlist full of songs at 180 beats per minute and off I started running uh, and, and increased my cadence that way. But uh, and it stuck. I mean, after like two or three weeks, like it was like, ah, oh, my body was, this is way easier. But in the process of changing to that higher cadence, it kind of felt like I was relearning how to run because I had, I had programmed myself to run this one way and then I was changing the way that I was running and it felt very awkward. And I think if I had maybe thought about it more or been less firm in my convictions that what I was doing was the right thing, I may have said, ooh, I don't know, this doesn't feel right. Maybe this isn't the right thing to do. Because that's a lot of the resistance I hear sometimes about increasing cadence, especially when we talk about runners who are increasing their cadence at their slower paces and easy effort runs. It's like, I don't know, this feels really weird. Are you sure that this is the right thing to do? And I have to say, it's supposed to feel different because you're not used to doing it. Yeah, it, there's a difference though of like, is it feel different or does it feel uncomfortable? Because I've had all those same questions before too of like, telling someone that that's the way that I was taught 
how to do something. So I'm for like relaying the information, but then I'm getting the feedback of like, I don't know, this just doesn't. So that's where it is so case dependent. And we have to just ask, you know, what is the purpose? What is it about the step rate specifically? Um, and everybody's different. My leg length, my, my, my body shape, um, my femur length, there's so there are different factors that can make it different for different people. But that's where sometimes it's the age old question of like, yeah, it feels different, but I just have to get used to it. Yes, sometimes you do, but we do have to still ask and not overthink things, but ask ourselves, like, is this uncomfortable or is this truly just something new? Because anything new or changing is uncomfortable, but it's a different type of uncomfortable. It's more mentally, it should be more mentally uncomfortable than physically uncomfortable. Like if we're doing our job right, like my business name is Human Movement Optimization. And like, if you're doing it right, it actually should feel easier. But there are anytime learning some new skill, it can take some mental, you know, some mental work. Even if you went from brushing your teeth with like an old school just toothbrush and then you got used to, you got a new mechanic, you got a new automatic one and you're like, oh my gosh, this is actually easier. But then you're kind of, oh, well, this is how I've done it for 20, 30 years. So there's always some resistance to new change. But the crazy thing is when I start thinking about my mind and my body, like, um, or my mind like a computer and like humans made computers and how we program and different operating systems like yeah your movement pattern how you move forward is a preset operating system and that's why we can't it's so hard to change somebody's mechanics by just adding one little thing to it we have to break down the components of it work on them in isolation create new separate patterns or operating systems or programs and then we put it together to make one new program so that's just what i've learned is how we learn and movement is so similar to that so yeah it just we just have to ask ourselves is the change is it truly good for me or is it or is it not and i would i'm not to suggest that oh because i did my playlist at 180 everybody should like you said oh you know 180 might be a number that we kind of throw out there because we have to say generally the optimal cadence is within this range but it's not going to be the optimal cadence for everybody i'm an average height woman with normal length limbs right 180 <laughs> or thereabouts does work for me but i also yeah. know that i work with runners who have shorter legs who are very tall and their optimal cadence is different and it works yeah. for them. I have a couple runners who are shorter with shorter legs and they are genuinely most efficient with a cadence in the mid 190s. Yeah. I have other runners who will look at that data and say, I couldn't even do that if you like paid me to do that. That just seems like impossible. And that's yeah. just the variation of the human body. Yeah, like for me, cause I am taller, I'm 6'1". I'm lazy. I don't want to have to take more steps. If I can get from here to there with less steps, less actual energy, less muscle contractions, I want to do it. So I capitalize big time on the push with the tush. I use my glutes. I really lengthen the back part of my stride to give me more propulsion so I don't have to take as many steps. In order to even be able to do that, I have to pause when I land and allow my body continue to move forward over my foot and then push. If you have too high of a step rate, we don't even reach that back, that backside. But another, I was thinking the other day, and hopefully some people this will help, another way to conceptualize this whole differences between people and step rate and frequency is this. Imagine that I am on, what is that, Wheel of Fortune, where they have the big wheel? Yeah, <laughs> you know? so, so. there's how if our goal was how quickly can we move this wheel, I could either like really reach up and 
push down and have this like really long push and get it moving or the more times I'm actually making contact with it, I can move this wheel faster. So some people, it may be if they have shorter limbs, doing a whole big swoop might not be efficient enough for them. But so for them, they're just constantly. So they might spin this wheel, you know, 50 times versus I might only spin it 30 because I'm trying to get a bigger swoop. And depends on your body, depends on your uh, cardiovascular system. But that's what I'm thinking of, like, because when we're on the ground, this is important. When you're on the ground, when your foot's on the ground, that's what really creates your forward movement. Like, especially when your foot's behind you. But like when you're in the air, you're in the air. You're not creating a lot of forward movement while you're in the air. It's a byproduct of what you did on the ground. So that's where the step rate does come in. A fact that some people, if you give them, hopefully this is where it ties in. In one minute, if you had somebody spin a wheel 190 times in a minute, they're just quickly doing it. Some people, might it might be easier for them to spin it just as fast because they have more power to be able to do longer swoops. So it depends on cardiovascular fitness, on leg output. When I push the ground backwards at my body weight, how far can I bring my body forward? Um, but yeah, again, it's just a, it's a good tool and it's a good measurement, but I do think it's worth addressing. But like with everything, we need to ask the specifics of it. Like when they do say 180, like what speed? Like what tempo, what this, what that, what like, so it's, that's where we just get in trouble when we overinterpret or we misinterpret stuff. And when we try to take a concept and disseminate it to the masses, and that's like what I try to do too, is just, I'm trying to give information. I don't care if someone doesn't want to learn, doesn't want to listen. Like I don't, I've learned I can't take any of it personally because I don't care. I just want people to, if you want to learn, I can help you. That's, that's all it is. It's not this, you have to do this and you have to do that. That's not me. That's not my personality style, but um, we just have to be careful when we're disseminating information to the masses and how people interpret that, what that means and what we're saying. And that, that's the tricky part of, of, I think, what you and I do and just, you know, there are broad principles that have individual application, right? So when we are communicating the soundbite, it's going to be the broad principle with the caveat of like, you know, individual results may vary kind of thing. Yeah. Um, or your situation may be different because of what we're considering here. And I think cadence is, is kind of a really... Great example of that because it's such an easy soundbite for somebody on social media to say, you should always aim for 180 step rate cadence no matter what. Here, look what I do and show a picture, you know, show them right. running. Uh, and then for had to have other runners say, wait a minute, like I'm not even close to that or, you know, say, but that, that, that doesn't work for me. Am I doing something wrong? And then like freak out about it. Yeah. Um, and this is, I think, you know, with so many things that there's like the, the kernel of truth and then the individual application. Um, I will say though, generally speaking, I mean, this is what I see in the, I've worked with a couple hundred runners one-on-one -on -one at this point. I know you work with people individually as well. Most runners are gonna be for me between 170, 190 steps per minute when they run. Yeah. They just are, they just are. I think that well, with everything, there's that you know bell-shaped curve where what we're trying to speak to is the peak that's going to get the most amount of people, but there's going to be outliers on either end of it. But I think like there's something to be said with just the human body, how it's configured. If you look at a four-legged animal, how different creatures. I've learned a lot about how humans move just by looking at how different animals move. But like that's the thing is is there is going to be. I do believe that that 170. I I personally think that 170, and that's more biased because of my height and my running. Like 170 is more applicable. Um, but 
180 again. Yeah, it just it depends because also when we run faster, which I think is a good thing to talk about with with speed of movement, I guess we can transition to that. So this is what I found too. Again, it can be individualized, but for the most part, you kind of have your runners that are like me, where you want to capitalize on the push. You don't want to take more steps than you need to. You're going to have a longer push the ground back, a longer stride, more horizontal movement. And then you're going to have the runners that want to just take you know more steps and they don't want to have that, um, that motto. But that whole when walking, transitioning from walking to running, like they show for most people around like four and a half miles per hour. Like if you're trying to move forward, at four and a half miles per hour, maybe you're on a treadmill, even though the perception of the ground's moving, there becomes a point where like, I wanna take more steps, I wanna leave the ground. So when, there's a component of speed to it where I've seen that, how do you normally, you like to say like base running, like what are your normal speeds that you coach to people? Do you do like efforts of like base yes, and we'll race? we'll do easy effort, yeah. So I mean, obviously the foundation is gonna be easy effort, right? Conversational, relaxed. I could sing a song. You and I could have this conversation while running, easy effort. And then we move up from there, right? So okay. we have our moderate intensity zones, be marathon pace, half marathon pace. Then we have our you know critical velocity or critical race zones, gonna be lactate threshold, 10K, 5K, mile, right? Going up the ladder. I gotcha. So it's similar, like what I do is I do three gears. I like making analogies about the body and the car, but like gear one is what you just mentioned, that base, like conversational, Gear two is where you can get a couple words out between breaths, but not much more than that. And then gear three is the fastest, and that's where you can't either can't talk or you can only get one word out. The difference between gear one and gear three, the there's a big difference in step rate. Like to do 180 steps at that slower speed, it would it wouldn't be quite as efficient. You want to capitalize on some of the momentum of like you want to reap the benefits of what you just created, the force that you just did, what you just did to push back to allow you to go forward. You want to capitalize on that. Just like on a boat, if you push the water back, allow the boat to cruise for a little bit before you interrupt it again. You want to allow some of what, the fruits of your labor to, to come to come out. So um, when going from base pace, doing 180 would be kind of ridiculous. Like it's th three hertz or one step every three steps every one second is 180. So to get three steps to quickly move your feet on and off the ground at those slower speeds, it's not as, um, there is a difference. Having the high 180 at the at gear one is too low, but between gears well, I, two- Actually, no, I'm gonna push back on that because I think yeah. it really depends on the pace. And I think, you know, if you're a runner who is in the, you know, 11, 12 minute, you know, slower mile per range, 180 steps per minute, unless you're very short and have very short legs, it might be ridiculously inefficient because it's too high. If you're a runner who's routinely running eight, nine, even, you know, 10 minutes per mile in their easy effort range. I mean, for me personally, you know, if I'm in my easy effort range, I'm in the nine to 10 minute per mile range and my step rates in the high 170s, low 180s. So, but the difference what I'm talking about is the speed. Just the Oh, the okay, the pure speed. speed. Like put me pure on the speed. treadmill. And the I'm speed. at and five like, miles per pace, hour. And yeah. pace is a form of speed. It's just like over a certain amount of time, that's your pace. Just like, you know, step rate is a frequency. But to move forward at five miles per hour, it doesn't matter if you have a treadmill belt and you put it at five miles per hour, which is a 15. 12 minutes. 
Five miles per hour is 12 minutes. Yeah. Five miles per hour is 12 minutes per mile. So yeah, so at that pace. Not at 180 at that pace. But it's different. Right. So that's what I'm saying is that it's where the pure constant comes in is the speed. The treadmill belt doesn't know the difference of how you move. So yes, you might have a runner that they're, I have runners that they're, they can hold a conversation. I would be dying. I would be, I couldn't be able to talk. So for them, you know, it's a little bit different, but we're talking about the pureness of the speed of the walking versus running, the direction of movement. That's where uh, having 180, because if you did that, it'd be cool to do. If you did a video of you at five miles per hour and you put a metronome to 180, try to t- take 180 steps on that treadmill belt, you would look, <laughs> I've done it, that's how I've learned a lot of stuff. You'd look and feel ridiculous, just marching, picking your feet up so constantly. Um, but between gear two and gear three of where you're running, so like, a general rule for me, my gear two pace is about eight to eight and a half miles per hour or 7.30 to a seven minute mile pace. That's my gear two. Versus my gear three is closer to like 10 miles per hour or a six minute pace. For me, my step rate from going from those two speeds doesn't change a whole lot. And the reason for that is when I'm going faster, I'm spending more time with my foot on the ground to lengthen the back of my stride, and I'm spending more time horizontally in the air. And all the reason for this is that if you were to watch me running on the beach, and if you were to measure the distance between one foot step, one foot imprint, and the next foot imprint, measuring that distance, what there should be, ideally, and this is what I'll get pushback for, but someday hopefully we'll all see it, When you go faster, incrementally, we should be able to see, if we're being efficient with our body, a greater distance between each step, the faster that we go. When you're walking, very minimal. The faster that you go, you see Usain Bolt, it's like, I don't know how many feet. It's like 10, 12 feet or something ridiculous between when his foot is on the ground and the next time he lands on the ground, he covers 12 feet of ground or something crazy. So... Ideally for me, when I'm going from that gear two to gear three, when I'm running faster, because I'm spending more time on the ground, pushing the ground backwards, because I'm spending more time in the air, my step rate is around the same versus when I'm going at slower speeds, it is closer to that, um, still that same step rate, but the differences are on horizontal air time, not vertical air time, but when I have no parts of my body on the ground is that air time. And then when my foot is actually on the ground, primarily when it's behind me, and that's why I talk about like not all step time, not all ground contact time is created equal. Mm -hmm. Uh, People always talk about having this really quick ground contact time, but ground contact isn't bad when you, like right now I'm standing. I have a ton of ground contact time. It's not bad. I would hope. I'm not not moving. But if I'm starting to move forward, then it's when my foot is in front of me, the time, if you had a timer, when my foot is in front of my center of mass, that's when it's breaking. That's when it's slowing me down. But the moment that my foot gets under me, or said another way, the moment my center of mass is over my foot, and then when my body is forward, that's all groovy. That's fine. That's not detrimental. That's not where we're having those braking forces. That's where we're propelling. We're having propulsion forces. But um, that's that whole people will think a high step rate. Okay, what does that mean? Quick ground contact time. What does that mean? But again, like we're talking about, you just have to be more specific about it and and say why you know why is that? Because the speed and subjective versus objective. That's where it, it you know where are the variables and where's the differences actually lie. But my main point of saying that was that it, some people will choose though. I'm one type. 
and I would I have around the same step rate no matter gear two or gear three. There are some people, quick legs, that they prefer to do a higher step rate. Just like we talked about, you know, I could potentially go faster or even in the water. If I take more frequent paddles, I'm going to go faster, but I might wear out myself. So that's where it depends. And, and who's to say, could the person that takes these short, quick steps, may they actually benefit from lengthening their stride? That, that's what I'm finding. A lot of people, once they do this, they go, oh my gosh, this is easier. But they never get to this world because in their mind, there's this block of the ground's on fire. I have to quickly get my feet off the ground. And again, that's when the foot's in front of you is where ground contact time is detrimental or high force rates. It's when the foot is behind you is where we get all that, all that, um, the power. So hopefully that made sense. Either someone, you can increase your speed two ways. You can either increase your frequency of steps or your step rate or you can increase your stride length or push the ground further back. And I think this is where it gets messy because we can't really address any of these variables in a vacuum because your cadence does depend on your stride length and it also, and your stride length, and this also, you know, your ground contact time comes into this as well. And I, I love that you gave the example of Usain Bolt and I'll even say, you know, Elliot Kipchoge, I think his stride length when he's running his world record marathon pace is about two and a half meters per step, which is like nine feet. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, and I mean, he's running, was it 418 pace, right? So he's, he's high gear three, according to every model yeah. <laughs> of yeah. pace. You know, but his step rate is still, I don't know off the top of my head, I would wager it's probably in the low 180s, right? So it sounds like, you know, we basically have this, uh, you know, if you've ever seen videos of him doing the Kenyan shuffle, right, when they start out at like 12 minutes per mile and their cadence is lower, what it sounds like you're saying is that as you increase in speed, you can increase your cadence, you can increase your stride length, you can increase both, but there is mm -hmm. a point at which your cadence really can't increase anymore yes. efficiently. Yep. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So it's like either or, it's cost effective. It's like, where are we gonna invest in this exuding more energy? Where do I wanna invest? I could invest in both, the step rate and step length, but there's effort associated with each. There's different efforts. Um, but yeah, for sure. And that's where I think we have to remember, like we're humans, we're all humans. So there is, we're constantly, as generations come, we're pushing the envelope and the limits of human function. Like humans are able to do crazy amounts of feats of speed, how fast they run. But at the end of the day, we're still humans and we're still all have muscles and bones and tendons. Like if you were to tell me, you know, give me a hammer, how many times could you hit this table in a minute? There would be a point where I could not exceed that. There's, if I had to get so much power, there's a point where we just can't move that fast. We're not a cheetah. We don't run 40 miles per hour. So all human beings, some are unbelievably talented and skilled and have genetics and some work at it and have genetics, but we're, we still, there are limitations uh, with things. So having it like you would never see a human being with a 280 step rate. You know what I mean? So it's like there has to be limits and ranges to everything. Um, but yeah, you'll see some like sprinters because we have to ask how long is this person sustaining this? To sustain 200 steps per minute for 
three, two out, whatever is like ridiculous. We have different energy systems. Like one of our energy systems Especially is only with last... their force generation, right? Yeah. They're they are creating maximum force right. at extraordinarily high step rates. That's yeah. not sustainable. So yeah, so like someone will say, what about you know, Usain Bolt? He's running a, like a hundred meters, <laughs> you know? Like versus a hundred miles versus 26 miles. Like, so th- that's where it does, like we have to, again, you know, people will always be like, well, what about this? I get that all the time. Like some people, I think they just, I don't know. Like I really just want to help. It's not, I, I'm a, I consider myself a teacher, not a preacher. I'm a teacher. And if you don't want to learn, that's fine. I don't take offense to it, but people will always try to like poke holes in everything <laughs> and like, well, what about this person? They do this. What about that person? They do this. It's like, everybody's different and you don't know they might never had a coach and some of these people especially with the crazy elites they've been running for transportation their whole life like it's not a a fun thing for them like that's how they move that's how they got from point a to point b and so by that many repetitions doing something we learn skills the more you do things the better you get some of them they don't even think about it because they've been doing it for their whole life getting from point a to point b but if we break it down remember that running in its most purest form is just translating your body forward that's what it is and when we define it is either walking or running if we see that there's always a contact point with the ground we call it walking if there's this flight time where both feet are off the ground we call it running or you're standing still there's nothing else that can that can happen in between those so that's where i've learned so much by by thinking of it that way thinking in the world in terms of arrows and directions and more the physics and not all that other stuff, because it's so easy to get like, well, what about this and that? But we think, what's the constant? Like right now, I'm working on a, a language for how I teach movement to like other physical therapists. And I want to speak in such a way that people, if I, I want to be able to teach you how to squat with just my words. And so I want to make sure when I'm speaking, what's the least amount I could say? I'm speaking to the joints where the motion occurs. I'm speaking to directions. But when I start thinking about it in terms of like, like what are the variables or what's the constant? What is constant is gravity. It's always pulling down. Where's the ground? It's always below us. What might change is our position. So by asking with every situation, you know, what can we change? What can we not? What's a point of reference? Um, we can start to learn a lot of stuff. And that's why I've learned so just thinking that way. Even a squat, what's the purpose? Going lower. All right, what muscles go lower? Well, then if I shift my weight backwards, that's not efficient because I'm trying to go lower. It's deadlift. Would it make sense for me to shift my body forward? Like, you know, we want to have a setup, but at the end of the day, if you're trying to move that dumbbell straight up, um, one more little tangent. I think if you think same situation, the deadlift, if you think about it in terms of what's your body, like if I was trying to teach you to deadlift, I'd say you to think about in terms of your body, how you moved versus if I told you, Hey, I want you to just move this, this barbell straight up, straight up in the air. We can then conform our body and only think about one thing that, Hey, the bar has to go up versus are my hips going back? Are my knees going forward? What's the width? All like you can conform your body to the task at hand, knowing what the direction of the task is. So when I start thinking and and educating in terms of that, it just becomes a little bit more clear for like direction. Anyways. I think that's an interesting point. It's it's I'm re- I'm relating what you're describing to my experience as a new runner because what I thought the way that I thought my body was moving was not how it was actually moving because I wasn't I I didn't understand the purpose of what I was trying to do, right? That hey, I'm a runner, I'm trying to move forward, not up, not back. And so when I was, you know, doing my giant lean back, take my big giant strides, 
there was never a point at which I thought maybe this is the opposite direction in which I want to go because I had decided that the way this movement felt was getting me to where I wanted to be, right? And without thinking about what is this movement actually doing to me in space, right? Which direction am I actually heading? And I see this a lot with runners too, who have a lot of vertical oscillation. And I sometimes get in the tra trap of this too. If I'm, you know, uh, I notice this on runs where I'm, you know, recovery runs, I'm running slow, I'm carrying a lot of fatigue, maybe my hips are really tight. I have a lot of vertical oscillation, I'm bouncing up and down a lot. Uh, and that's energy that goes up is wasted energy for runners. Exactly. Not to say that you're not, you know, you will lose some. We can't just move forward, but um, that, it's that, always- That's where I push back. That's what I'm trying yeah. to teach. <laughs> okay. Seriously. <laughs> I, I, this is, this is what someday, hopefully you'll be like, this dude is nuts. Or someday this dude is a genius. I don't care what it is. As long as people are getting the information, <laughs> I could run in a room. That's my height. I'm six one. I could run in a room with a six foot one ceiling because I have trained myself through <laughs> videoing myself. Definitely. If you never video yourself, I am bold enough to say you will never be as efficient as you possibly can be. If you never video yourself, there's so that's a whole different thing, but I'm trying to, just like with walking, my head height, my head doesn't go up when I walk, directions forward. That's where running at slower speeds, it's so much more technical. And that's why I said earlier, someone running 15 miles per hour on a treadmill, they don't have time to do anything. So they're very efficient because they don't have time to waste and go up and down. Their head height does stay low. So it, I, when I teach mechanics, I usually teach gear two mechanics first and then gear one because it is so much more challenging to, to do it then. But you can, I'm, what I'm trying to say is take the jump out of running. And what is jumping? It's vertical oscillation. It's just going up. So when we see this up and down movement, when we, if I were to watch you run and I see your head moving up and down, this is the difference. Is it moving up and down below my head height? My, my actual height or above it? Anything above. So is it moving down and back up or is it moving up and down? Exactly, down and up. Exactly. So when I leave the ground, so watch, as I want to move forward, I'm extending my hip. As I extend my hip, my head goes lower. And then when I land, I cushion the eccentric quads. You want to absorb the impact. So then the body does this little cushioning to go lower. But then when it comes back up, it's just going back ideally to your height. You know, we just have the slight crouch ideally. That's what I try to teach you. Just a slight softening of the knees and then moving from your hips, not moving from your knees, but I've gotten it down to my vertical, the, Here's where the problem is. Vertical oscillation, just as a saying, is just we're at saying from the ground, what is this change in up and down? But it's not saying where is it? Like, is it above your head height? Is it below your head height? That's where the big confusion comes in. If we could all get that down, that vertical oscillation is really a down up that we see versus this up down. That's the jumping. So that's it. That's what's taken me years to like try to simplify it. What, what makes sense of it? But um, that's the concept, everybody, of moving forward. And we see up and down. So we think like, oh, like that's just normal, but we can learn to take that jump out, that vertical oscillation. That's where the skill comes in. That's where, like, I'm so lazy. Like I, I started running for weight loss. Like I, I enjoy what running does for me, but like, I, it's funny. People think too, my girlfriend loves when people ask her, like, is he just like a hardcore obsessed runner? No. <laughs> like I, <laughs> I love what it does for me mentally more than anything. I love how it was an avenue for me to empower myself. I was, you know, flat footed, asthmatic heavier dude and I was seeing progress and I love that for myself and that what keeps me doing it is for my mind my mental aspect and that's why I'm so passionate about it because I know running if you listen to all these crazy successful people these people that push themselves to beyond limits these CEOs 
most all of them run or do some form of movement. So like to me, it's not just running for the sake of running. Like it's the deeper meaning of what it is to, to help somebody to run, to take care of some of their anxieties, their stresses, give them an outlet. Like, so that's why, you know, I'm so passionate about it because I'm not just running is, is so much deeper. It's movement. It's, it's uh, how we express ourselves. It's just, so anyways, I say that to say is I've learned how to run as easy as possible for myself. I've learned how to be as efficient as possible because I am so lazy that I don't want to have to do more work than I need to. So I've made my mechanics such that over time, and that's why I've been doing this for a while, but I keep finding how can I quickly, it took me years and a doctorate degree and all this education to be able to learn this. How can I quickly transfer this information to somebody else where they don't need all of that and it's just quickly uploaded? And that's my business and that's what I do. Well, I think that, I mean, that is the goal, right? I mean, just from a purely, like, if you don't care about performance at all and you're just running for wellness benefits, you may not necessarily care about this other than the angle of, I want to stay injury free, which is a huge, importantly, hugely important part of this. But when we're talking about performance, we're talking about progress, it is talking about becoming as efficient as possible and improving your running economy. And there's a huge biomechanical aspect to that. And that's what really this is that it may Absolutely. be more efficient for you to change your biomechanics. And that really messes people up. I always get that what aboutism, but like, what about this? What about that? And I had, I think when I posted something about cadence a couple months ago, I had somebody in my comments say, I don't understand how taking more steps could possibly be more energy efficient. And I was like, I don't have time to explain yeah. physiology to you, dude. Like, but trust me that, you know, it can be, it can yeah. be because, and what I want to go back to is digging into this gear too, that you described this kind of moderate intensity where you are generating more power, your cadence is slightly increased. And I think this is where a lot of runners fall into the trap of when they're running too hard on their easy effort days, when we ask, like they're they're generating, and this is going to sound weird, they're generating too much force per stride. And that's where they get into trouble with being inefficient mm -hmm. at that speed. Because it is about the efficiency of stride length and cadence at the speed that you're trying to run. And if you are trying to run slowly with too large of a stride length, that's actually less efficient to create that much power for yeah. fewer strides if you mm -hmm. were to just increase your step rate. And that like freaks people out sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, nope, it's true. That's why it's so technical to be able to like, and that's the ranges of what we call gear two versus gear three. Like we might call somebody's base like a huge pace for some people, like a difference, but it is, that is where the skill, like when usually when people are uh, not efficient at those slower speeds, some people will actually be going side to side and other people will be going that up and down with both of, both of which aren't efficient when going forward is the goal. So naturally, you know, it, it takes some awareness of, hey, don't move side to side. Hey, just push backwards just the right amount. We don't want to overdo it. I'm not trying to like leap and make crazy amount of distance, but it's fine tuning. Like that's the thing is I can be as efficient as possible for me. It may be a little bit different for you, but we all have the same. If we think about in terms of directions and how humans move with muscles, think about gravity. If we think about what the variables are, we really can, like everyone, everyone can improve their efficiency. And some people that would sound sexier if I say, you can be faster. Like you can, yeah. you can literally be faster immediately or you can train. How you train can also get you faster, but I can get you immediately faster 
because I'll make you more efficient. I will optimize the way that you move. So you're just like, I talk about that paying on the principal versus paying on the interest. You know, paying on the principal is the energy, the work. That's where we say efficient. How can we get this interest rate as low as possible? So as much of your work that you're putting in is going towards going forward, it is really hard to run forward at slower speeds with a low interest. And that equates to high skill, high technique of being able to purely move my body forward. But like with everything, we don't want to overdo it. Uh, so yeah. I see this a lot too, and I we you know, obviously yeah, easy run champ. I am easy running is a huge part of what I teach and and what I what I you know, you know one of the things I think is foundational if as for endurance athletes for taking your easy days easy enough, and the, a very very common, not even pushback but like okay I tried it when I run slow enough to be in my truly easy effort zone as measured by conversational ability or heart rate range. Um, it just, it, when we go back to the beginning of conversation, you know, it feels not that it feels uncomfortable is that it literally feels like something's wrong. I am, my, my calves are cramping. Uh, this started to feel tight or funny when I run that slowly, like my form is bad. And to that, I usually say, all you've done is uncovered something that was already there that you were able to su successfully mask at faster paces. Yeah. And, um, and so I like Go to back, teach there, this one is a learning that, opportunity. <laughs> yeah, but you said one thing that's so important, I wanna connect more dots. You said their cat, like if they tell you, but my calves got tight, why is that? Our calves move us up. Our calves are what gives us that upwards, our vertical oscillation, our bounding. So that's why it's more technique to be able to move forward without using your calves. That's the big thing on a level surface. If you're going on an incline, you have to use your calves to help propel you up and forward. But to move forward on a flat area, I've, I've broken down running into seven skills. Skill number three is release and relax, learning how to lean using the calves, but then how to release them and how to move forward without using your calves to propel you. That's the key, the propulsion, propulsion part. I'm using my calves when I land to shock absorb, like, so we gotta think concentric versus eccentric. Am I the muscle shortening or is it uh, lengthening and absorbing? Um, is someone you did, you're right, you unpack something, you learned that you're bounding, we got something we can work on. Tennis ball necklace, we put it on you, we fill it with uh, metal washers, and you learn on those slow runs, you learn how to run keeping that ball as quiet and as still as possible. If you feel it hitting you, if you hear it hitting you, then you're, you're bounding. And then we can conform our mechanics to such that it's the least amount of movement possible. And then we can take that feedback away, just like with cadence. Um, and that's why I have a whole course out that I do. I teach you how to move using a tennis ball necklace to give you some kind of feedback, whether it's tactile feedback, auditory feedback, um, but as a reference point. But like you said, that running slow, it exposes some stuff because it is. And a way to make it sexier for people is a two things. One, it, you did, you uncovered something. You learned something that we now have to work on. That means we're going to have progress. And two, the real, real true benefit of base running is more injury prevention, is adapting your tissues. It's like in order for us to grow, we have to stimulate. But if we stimulate or stress too much, we get injured. And so base running, it helps to build your joints. It builds the resiliencies of your everything. So it's stressing your body. It's getting used to those impact forces over time to make your body more resilient, more durable. So you then can put more force through it to build. It's just like that 
if I was building a foundation, I really want to build like a heavier foundation. I can build higher on. I can't build super high or a lot of load on a small foundation. So slow base running really is. It's based. You're building a true base. And of course, it's not fun, but it's like so beneficial and so purposeful from an injury standpoint, big time. It will help you to adapt your tissues underneath that injury point. Yeah, you can't, I would say, you know, you can't build a skyscraper on our little rinky-dink foundation, right? Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build these these huge, you know, towers of performance over time. Uh, and easy running is a huge part of that. Um, all right, so back back to cadence, because it sounds like we have some really good kind of foundational knowledge for people to understand. Okay, cadence matters, mostly. My cadence is going to be higher at faster paces. It's not going to be as high at my slower speeds, depending on where my specific pace range is. Stride length is also a thing that is a variable that will change, that can change. Something I sometimes hear from people who are slowing down to their easy effort zones or running slow, quote unquote slow, is that it feels like they're shuffling. Is that necessarily a bad thing? I mean, I think the answer is, well, it depends uh, if they're actually shuffling, like hitting the ground. But that's something I sometimes hear. It feels like I'm shuffling. This can't be right, can it? Yeah. If someone's shuffling, they're not efficient but they're they're moving from a hip strategy like which is kind of good like that's what i'm trying to teach is moving from your your hips like my hips are what's propelling me my legs going back to move me forward not at my knees so shuffling if you watch somebody actual just shuffle they glide right they're kind of staying pretty level and they're not going all up and down so it's slower speeds like you could see me run um I've done it before where at five miles per hour on the treadmill, I walk. I don't allow uh, airtime and my heart rate goes up. And then I allow myself to run. And yeah, maybe it looks a little more like a shuffle because it's at such a slow speed for me and I'm, I'm efficient. My heart rate stays lower running than it does walking at that speed. Um, but if you look at me at that speed, it does like I'm, you know, here's another thing. I think shuffling your feet stay close to the ground the whole time. Like that's kind of what I'm trying to do is at certain speeds, at slower speeds, just like with walking, we stay closer to the ground the whole time because if we go above the ground or go higher, that's when we're jumping and we're bounding. So yeah, shuffling, I think if someone says they're shuffling, great, keep keep working at it because that means that if they can learn how to open that up, open their stride up and move from their hips and keep their feet low to the ground at most speeds until they start going a lot faster, then yeah, shuffling is the way to go. Is there a, I know we kind of talked about there's a natural cadence ceiling for the human, for humans. There's going to be a point at which, yes, for you individual, this, a cadence will become inefficient because it's going to be so high, but you'll probably feel it. Um, is there a point, a, a point where you would look at somebody's cadence and say, 99 times out of a hundred, I can tell you that that cadence is going to be too low. I would say, that's a good question. I would say it's more, I can tell it's too high than too low. Hmm. Like, it, because what I look for is their posture, their angle of their torso when they run. And I'm looking at their head height, how high up or what does it do? But, um, or I'm looking, I get a lot of information by looking at someone's heels and how high they come up at certain speeds if they're picking their feet up. But, um, so wait, so if they're running slowly and their heels, they have a huge, giant, sexy back kick. That's yes. too. That's not supposed to happen. Super inefficient. They're pulling their feet. Like the, what that analogy is, is in the paddle in the in the canoe. After I push back, 
I'm picking that paddle and that oar way up out of the water and then going down to the water again. Wasted energy going up. So if someone's picking their feet up and doing the butt kick, I've all, I don't think I did a whole episode. I did a YouTube on it. Um, it's a passive thing. It's not active or yeah, it's not active. But if someone is at slower speeds, no matter who you are, if someone is going like six miles per hour or that 10 minute pace and their kick, their heels going that high up to their butt, I automatically know they're not efficient. Like they, they need to improve their efficiency. And usually that's associated with a higher step rate. But the further the foot goes off the ground, the harder it is to rack up and to accumulate those steps. And that's why people might say it's shuffling when if I'm trying to get a quick steps, I don't want to take my feet off the ground because I'm trying to quickly make contact. But then it takes away from that power like we talked about before. Then I can't produce as much power. But that the goal then isn't to get the power. It's just to take a bunch of quick, quick, quick little um Little steps, but yeah, I can pick up on too high a lot easier than than too low for me. Do you often see? I mean, I would think that too low. If you're watching somebody run, it's you're seeing inefficiency in their mechanics. You're probably going to see something like overstriding before you stop to count their cadence. Yeah, because again, cadence is just a tool. I'm not. I'm just using that to manipulate or change how quickly somebody moves. And some people that will in turn change the way they move the, the way I want them to move, but I also can get them to change. That's what I've learned. I didn't know other ways to change somebody's mechanics besides increasing their step rate. Now I know so many different ways of how to do it because we make it too complicated. It's like if I'm trying to increase someone's step rate so they just lean forward more, why don't I just show them how to do that? Why don't I just teach them how to lean? I don't need to you know, do two steps away from it to get to that same desired outcome I can so I don't I never I never change somebody's step rate um, if I'm working in person usually I'm because I'm able to then work more with the way they move I'm able to do other things to change their their movement but again I do think there's value in increasing someone's step rate just like base running is valuable for different reasons I think working on your cadence is a form of exercise it's a form of, of a skill of to be able to move your legs quickly too so um, I, I've changed in the way that I've thought of over the last couple of years of just obsessing over this stuff of I am cadence is not anywhere near my first thought because that used to be my only tool. So that's what was my only tool. Everything was a, a nail. I had a hammer. Everything was a nail. So, uh, but now there's other ways to, to do it. But, uh, I yeah. think it's a really good example of, of falling into, I don't even know if it's a fallacy or whatever, but I can measure it. Therefore it's important. Yeah. Um, and cadence is so easy to measure. Anybody can measure cadence. I can measure cadence watching a video of somebody run and just counting, right? Yeah. Like anybody can measure cadence. Just because you can measure it really easily, does it mean it's the most important variable? No, it means it's an easily measured variable. Yeah. Now, I think the argument is that yes, it might have, yes, you it can be important. I think it depends, right? Depends on what you're trying to do, who you are, but and I go back to the uh, the wearables, right? Technology and giving us access to so many different kinds of metrics. Anybody who has a Garmin heart rate chest strap or a Coros or a foot pod, is going to know their ground contact time, the percentage, you know, of their of their vertical oscillation. Going to know all of these metrics. But just because you can measure something, does it mean that it matters or matters as much as you think it does? And I think right. the answer to that is probably not. Right, definitely. And I think another way of me trying to rephrase when you say. Can you pick up on somebody's cadence being too slow? My mind's not even going there. I'm looking at them. Like that's just a measurement of how quickly they're doing something. I'm looking at, I would pick up on that person that would have that slow step 
rate, they would be bounding or jumping. They would be bringing their feet high off the ground. And that's what I would address. So I'm not even looking at cadence. I'm not even measuring it because the whole point of me doing cadence before was to then change the way they move. But I'm able to do that with other ways now, other variables and other ways to do it. So I wouldn't, I, I, I pick up on their posture and their time away from the ground with their feet is what I'm looking at quickly. And that's just from doing it for so long and having a structure of what do I look for, what changes, what doesn't change. But um, instead of going through and the counting and, you know, going through all that, it, it takes forever and it can be, uh, you might miscount and then you're like multiplying times four. Um, so yeah, sometimes like I, I went back to coaching at Orange Theory again. I coached there two days a week now. It's been fun to like reuse. I've learned in the last two and a half years that I had off of coaching from doing learn to run. It's so cool to have so many different new tools and skills. Um, but I will sometimes say, hey, you know, give them something to do. Look at the time. Every second that goes by, try to get three steps or three arm swings. Some people do better with their arms. And that they'll never get quite three, but close enough where it would be around 180. So that does at least teach them a sense of learning how to move a little bit quicker with keeping the speed constant. But yeah, I don't um, I don't count, but yeah, they're wearables. Like if someone really was interested in it, again, I just where we get into trouble in that trap is seeing changes in it and then automatically assuming that's good or bad based off of a change in that number. Yeah. And thinking, oh, well, my cadence was 155 and now it's 170. Well, at the speed you were running, it might have been more efficient at 155. Yeah. Or you could have been in it, right? So I think we don't really know if we, if we don't have more context. Yeah, I think um, the only way I think to really get some more valuable numbers on this is if you had somebody and you were put them on a treadmill and you kept the speed variable constant and then you had a heart rate monitor on, you were collecting their exertion levels and you had them either change like their step rate, keep up with a certain step rate, you know, 180 metronome, keep up, same speed, try 170, and then you know do it for a set amount of time for both, three minutes for each, and then look at the data. What was their heart rate response? What was their perceived exertion? But what was also their body? Like when did they get up in the higher heart rate zone? So like if you really someone was really obsessive about it and they want to know what step rate is best for them, that would be a way to do it. Is have something to track and measure your internal feeling of how your body is working and an external reference of rate of perceived exertion, zero through 10, and then just compare and contrast for yourself. Because again, it's different for everybody, but doesn't mean there's not ways you could find that out and, and learn that. For me, I would think a big red flag if somebody is like, oh, I've never really thought about it in this depth. I'm gonna look back at my run data and kind of see what's going on. Based on what you've described to me, you know, so I'll say this, I'll back up and say, I coach virtually. A lot of the uh, uh, contact I have with my runners information is based on their run, their metrics, right? So I'm, I've gotten really good at interpreting metrics, understanding that I'm likely not even getting the full picture. I do see a lot of my runners run, they'll send me forum videos that always gives me more information. Um, but I'm going off of what I know in my knowledge base and experience of the type of runner this runner is, where they are in their, in their, you know, in their goals, in their journey. What paces they're running? Are they running outside or inside? And what their cadence is? I know how high, you know how I know how tall they are, that sort of thing. So like I can start to form a picture of the runner in my head, um, and I'll say, 
The one thing that really gives me pause, I rarely would tell my runners like, hey, I think your cadence is a little too low. I've, I've suggested it for a couple runners when it made sense. The one thing that does give me pause and say, hey, I think there's something going on here is that when I see a runner have the same cadence for every pace or speed in their arsenal, and I'm, I'm talking, you know, zone, 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 you know, gear one through gear three, right? If there are 175 cadence at 11 minutes per mile and there are 175 cadence at six minutes per mile, mm-hmm. that's not supposed to happen. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. We, that, would, that would indicate to me that at their, at their higher speeds, they are um, inefficiently generating too much force in each stride length, that they're only relying on increasing stride length and they should also be increasing their cadence. Yeah. Yeah. I think like you said, you, you, all you have mainly is the data. And so you can formulate, you know, ideas or experiment with, I think that's the thing we're trying to say is it's not never, it's not, that's not important. It's just, we just, every time it's case dependent, what's the situation, what's the goal, what variables do you have, you know, what, are you injured? Are you not injured? There's just so many variables, but I think everyone just needs to understand just more about it and what it is. That way they can, um, you know, see, is this worth looking into for them specifically? But if nothing else, just being educated on it and just knowing what it is that we're trying to talk about. So everybody who listened to this episode to figure out exactly what cadence you should be running, I regret to inform you that's not... <laughs> how this works unfortunately that's like the, um, what do they say the more you learn the more you know or the more you realize you don't know <laughs> you know like as we dive every day i learn new things and every day i'm like oh but now now it's opened up new avenues of like i didn't even yeah. know i had questions about this yeah. the more i i learn the less i know <laughs> yep. um all right so to recap right um cadence can be important the individual's mechanics really inform the optimal cadence for them at slower speeds, your cadence will be lower. And as you increase in speed, your cadence and or stride length will also increase along with it. Cause that's really, you need both to run faster, more efficiently. Um, and it's not something to obsess over. That's what I'm hearing because just cause you can measure it doesn't mean it's the most important thing to pay attention to. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Don't obsess over it. It's not good or bad, but it is a tool. It's a very powerful tool to be able to then use that information to then change something. It could be anything, um, but it's a tool. That's the biggest yeah. thing. I will say, I mean, the, the place where I still land, and this is my like, you know what, the, the kind of bro- uh, paint with a broad brush here. If a runner finds out that they're overstriding, increasing their cadence might help. Yeah. That's kind of the first line of, I want to say line of offense, but it's a, it's fairly low hanging fruit. Cause statistically, if you're overstriding and you increase your cadence, you will force your foot to land on your body. You'll stop overstriding. But, um, I will also say that I've seen instances of runners who have a relatively high cadence who still overstride. It's not the overstriding that was causing the, it's not the low cadence that was causing overstriding because their cadence was high. So this is again, think, well, okay, but here's at least one nugget of truth I can always hold on to. No, not even. Yeah. Um, if you are overstriding, increasing your cadence may help, but there may be other things going on there too. And I think it's what you're illustrating is that there are so many variables to consider when we're talking about an individual runner's optimal form that you can't just say, well, if I fix this one thing, everything else is gonna is gonna change for the better. It's about like, where do I need to manipulate? How can we cue this runner? What can we work on to help them become more efficient? So one, so one thing, so we don't leave people feeling hopeless, uh, the, <laughs> 
what I found, this is through just, again, keep making this more simple for myself. How quickly can I learn this? What dictates the overstriding where we get lost is thinking about the foot and the foot placement where the most important thing is actually your center mass or your lean. So if I have somebody properly leaning forward, hinging at the ankles, that sets them up where uh, their center mass is in more optimal location. So it's like, I don't teach the landing anymore. I teach the propulsion part, and we can only think about one thing as humans. I teach the leaving the ground, not the landing, because if we're teaching landing, we're teaching jumping. If I'm teaching someone how to jump up and down, then yeah, I want to do either a propulsion, but also the landing from a you know safety standpoint. But by having that lean forward at the hips and your weight stays back, that's where you're going to be um, breaking. So everyone can work on that, having an appropriate lean will take, like that's the definition, that's what overstriding or breaking is. It's just having your weight in front of your body kickstanding and breaking, but the good news is, by mastering where that weight is, where your center of mass is in relationship to your foot and to the ground, you can save a lot of trouble with it. So the posture, the ankle is the secret. Those three skills, arm swing, moving your arms like a handsaw versus an ax killer, uh, ankling, hinging at the ankle, and gliding or push with a tush. Those are the three things that everyone could use and benefit from and still see improvement no matter where they are in their journey, whether it's performance or rehab. So there's no, all hope is not lost. And nowhere in that was, oh, you always have to run a 180 cadence too. Right, exactly. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you've been following any sort of running guru who is requiring you to run at 180 steps per minute, that's a vast oversimplification of what we know and might not be appropriate for what you're trying to accomplish as a runner. Yeah, to be brutally honest, I think them as a coach, because they don't know a whole lot about it, it's not their fault, they didn't understand a lot, and that's something that they know, it's like a good go-to, and they feel like they have to do something of value, like that's something they can do to try to change something, but there's other tools that we can learn to try to help people, but um, that's what I found so often is that that's all that the clinician or the teacher themselves really has an understanding of, so that's the only thing that they use, but we can expand our knowledge and learn these other different ways to do things, um, because we all know something has to change as far as uh, injury rate with running. Too many people either have dropped out of the movement, the activity because of injury, or they don't even try it because they're scared to get injured. Like something has to change. This 80, 90% of runners annually get injured a year. So um, one of my thoughts on the movement is get just getting away from the, the, the cadence thing. So yes, again, 180, not for, not for everybody. That injury rate is just bonkers. I mean that it's still, and it's been that way for a while. And I, you know, I get it. Running, running's a high impact sport. Um, yeah, I'm trying. I'm lucky in that I, knock on wood, you know, I've had a couple minor injuries, nothing major. But man, we just got to keep people healthy. <laughs> I think what, where it's most important is in those earlier stages where your body's getting used to it. That's where the injury risk is so high. But that's also where your risk of like needing to take time off to recover and you might lose that drive that you had to run. And that's why most people have been running for a long time, base running, your body will adapt eventually in most situations if you allow the adaptation to occur. But where we all get in trouble is dosage. We don't know how much. So it's really the people that I'm really, like if you run a, a three hour marathon or a four hour marathon, I don't care. I don't care at all. I care about the person that can't even run because they're, they're hurt. Those are the people that I care about. And so that's where I feel like I have a way, a mission to be able to 
my mission is I won't stop until the world is running safer. And I want to simultaneously increase running participation while decreasing the injury rate. That's my life's mission for now. I love all types of movement, but that's something that I really truly in my heart feel like I can do. And I, I mean, I feel like you and I have similar missions that like, I want to keep people running. I'm going to get, cause there, I feel like there are a lot of runners who, you know, they sign up for something and we have a very narrow, and I know this is like way off topic at this point. There's a very narrow window that we have to capture that runner's heart and soul. Right. Yeah. And if they get injured in that window, they're out. Right. Maybe they'll come back. Right. Maybe not. Right. So if they get injured during that time or if something happens and or if they run everything too hard and like literally just burn out or if they get injured because the stress was too high, then their body was able to adapt to, you know, we've lost a runner. Yeah. We've lost a runner. Right. And then as one fewer runners will be part of our community. And so if we can get if you are interested in running, if we can get you to stay because you get hooked because things go well, not badly in that window of introduction, you know, that's that's a success, I think. Amen. That's what it's all all about, serving others in one way. There's no better way than teaching somebody, giving them the gift of running, the outlet of running. Just, I mean, we all know there's so much. Once you find it, you, you know it. Like we take a lot for, for granted, but um, to experience an injury, and that's my job as a physical therapist, I work with people that are injured. If you're someone that's blessed that hasn't had an injury ever, um, then you're then you're lucky and you, do, you truly don't understand because it, it can rock somebody's world. Something that we might seem as simple, or if you were to go to a cancer doctor and you say, hey, my knee hurts, they don't care at all. Like they don't care because it's it sucks, but it's not going to kill you. It's very, very, very impactful on your life. But to them, they don't triage it. So if you're someone that's never been injured, you don't understand how an injury it can. It can make a huge uh, impact on someone's psyche or take them away from a new habit or something that they love. So yeah, I think that's, we're all in the work. We're, we all should be in the, the human business of helping other humans. That's what it's all about is just how can we help everybody move forward, either literally <laughs> what I'm trying to do or just in life. And running is a great tool and avenue for that. Well, Matt, if somebody has listened to this entire episode and said, okay, I still want more, right? <laughs> How can they work with you? What do you have to offer if they want to learn from you individually or work with you one-on-one -on -one or in a group? You know, tell us what you have available. So my, my big thing is how can I just get as many people as possible? So. I originally was like, I'm not doing any one-on-one -on -one because I want to use that time to teach other people how to do it. But I realized I don't need too much time. Like I also need to fund. I'm not taking any outside funding and, and I love it. I love working with people. So like I went through a period where I'm like, no, I can't do one-on-one. -on -one. But then I started doing it and I love it. So basically so I have, much fun. Yeah. it is fun. I've got, <laughs> I've got different options. I have mainly I'm working with people online virtually. I have a learn to run club. If you're a member of that, it's a monthly fee or every three months. You know, with that comes access to all my training plans and I have a seven day experience where I teach you seven skills over seven days where anywhere in the world it feels like I'm with you because I set it up such a way that I'm in your ear, you're watching videos, we're doing it together. I've made a system of how I can teach people as quickly as possible. So a part of that club is seven skills over seven days. Um, from a technique standpoint, and then all my training plans of, you know, I talk about different gears, but I have training plans available. Um, I do do a one-on-one. -on -one. I was for the first 100 members of my club, I offered a free monthly uh, mechanic session. And it's funny, people don't really take advantage of stuff, just who we are, but the ones that took advantage, it was so cool. I was like, for a really cheap 
fee. We were, you know, you were videoing yourself. You were sending me a video. We had a Zoom call. We like, I had people in China, like people all over the world. It was pretty cool to do like virtual sessions with people. And then I guide them and direct them to like what resources I have in place to be able to, but you have to be a self, you have to be a self learner. Like I don't, mm-hmm. I don't do well with the, you know, just give me what I need to know. I want to give you it lean. So basically I have uh, the, you know, membership is option one. Included with the membership is training plans, and also I included the mechanics seven-day experience. Separate from that, I do have virtual online uh, consultations where you send me a video, um, and then we go over it. And then I ask you, are you someone that likes the details, or are you someone that doesn't like the details? If you like the details, I have you do the seven-day experience, seven skills over seven days. If you're like, nah, I want quicker, then I have the three skills in three days with the tennis ball necklace. <laughs> and that's where I teach you how to move. I teach you how to swing your arms. I teach you how to lean. I teach you how to glide using the tennis ball necklace for feedback and then how to take it away so you don't need it. Um, and those are my, th- and if you're a clinician, this is where I'm really, pat- is if you are a physical therapist, um, I'm working on a certification where it'll be uh, three courses that you can take where I will then, you know, make you each course is, you know, first one is me- mechanics only. Second course is strength and mobility um, where I'm looking at range of motion and strength. And then the third one will be even more specialization where I want you to be able to have letters after your name. I want to be able to send you people uh, because there's people out there that need this uh, this help. So if you're interested in, in your, if you're a physical therapist or someone that works with people, all of it, no matter what, if you head to my website of learn to run 101 L2R101, when you open it, it'll say, are you a runner or do you help runners? And then I separate it out from there and I have options for like, I try to, I made an algorithm of what might be best for the individual person. So long-winded answer, training plans, or we can work together virtually online. That's awesome. That's so cool. And you're, I'm like, I'm like, oh God, he's really up to his game. I need to get going. <laughs> I can help you. I, I know. I, I can offer you stuff. You know, we can work together because you've got a huge audience. You, you do. We talked before. You, you offer something so broad, and you have like, you're my resource for anything. Like any other questions about like all the details and strategies and hydration and women stuff you know women things like with running you're the you're, you're the go-to so you're doing a great well, thank thing. you yeah i mean we all have our niche and by our powers combined we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna teach gives us world. something to do right yeah awesome well matt thank you so much for being here today i always learn something when you're a guest if you're not familiar with matt's work you should be and everything you can find follow him work with him is going to be linked below in the show notes i really appreciate your time it's a great conversation Thank you so much for having me, and I might have to have you on my own. I've got a, my own podcast, Learn to Run with Dr. Matt Miner with uh, Mega Sports sponsors me, uh, but I would love to have you on someday too, and we could we could just chat. I love our chats. We go off on wild tangents, but hopefully they have some meaning to it, and people can get some nuggets out of it. So I'll thank, be there. Thank just you again for know. having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, you take care. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at Running Explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.